Yes, and good afternoon to our vet, Dr. David Tabret. How are you? Good afternoon, Dave Cochran. Good to have you here for another week. And your topic today is an interesting one, wounds and first aid. Yeah, look, I'm, I might be a bit ambitious. Oh. This is such a big topic. But we'll we'll give it a go. Okay, yeah. We'll give it a go. Talk yeah. your way through it. Try and help some and people out. one of my favourite animals in the whole world, Cheryl Shaw is talking about today, ferrets. Ferrets, that's yeah, right. I love Keeping, ferrets. Do you? Yeah, I do. I really like them. Yeah. Do you have one? He's no. got one in his trousers no. right now. Oh, excuse me. Our oh, microphones look like little ferrets today. Yes. Thank you. Our microphones Put do look like ferrets. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so that's going to be good, and we're going to talk to someone who knows all about them. That's right. And Cheryl, here's our special guest on the phone for you now. Hi, Emma. Hi, how are you? Very well. Look, we're talking about ferrets today with their little long bodies and their long legs. What makes them such great pets? They always keep you laughing, um, and they're mysterious and really, really silly as well. Oh, okay. So they they and are they, funny little creatures. Yes, they are. And they are quite cuddly as well if they're quite bonded, bonded to you. Yep. Are they easy to keep, Emma? Um, not really. They are considered an exotic animal, um, so there are a few things that you need to consider before you get them. What would, what would that be? Um, things like their health issues, their diet, and where you're going to house them as well. Okay. Are they vicious? I've heard that they do bite. Is that true? They're not vicious. They rather nip than bite. Um, they do bite when they play with each other and things like that. And they can also learn to give you a little bit of a nip to get your attention. Um, but they do grow out of it as they get older, but you still need to nip train them. Oh, okay. How so do you they, do, how yeah. do you do that? Um, every single time they bite, you can gently grab them by the scruff and say no and then put them away from you. Um, and if they come back um, two more times, you just keep doing the same thing. Um, if they continue, then you can put them in a timeout area and then once they settle down, you can let them out. Oh, okay. So they learn boundaries that way. Yeah. So they wouldn't really be suitable for children then in that case, would they? No, not really. They do need a gentle hand. Yeah. And what about housing? What do you keep them in? Um, my boys actually live in uh, quite a large cage that's got um, plastic uh, levels and shelving, um, so that makes it quite easy to clean out. Um, and they've also got um, some blankets and some bedding, and they've got some hammocks in there as well. And they also use a litter tray in the corner, which we um, put some paper cat pellets in there or um, some newspaper. Okay. So with them um, being in the cage, do you let them out at all? Yes, we do. We let them out in the morning and in the afternoon when they're most active. So they get to run around the house and have a bit of a play before they go back to sleep for the day. Yep, and they do sleep a fair bit of time too, don't they? Yeah, they sleep about um, up to 20 hours. Wow, what a so lot. So they like sleeping quite a lot. <laughs> and and are they smelly? Um, if you have, you know, if you keep your cage clean and things like that, um, and a good diet, um, and you can also desex them as well, which can help with the smell. But it's usually that um, their poos and that that actually smell quite a lot, not the ferret themselves. Okay. And um, so, with them, with saying about smell, do you need to groom them? Do they need bathing or anything like that? Um, you don't want to bathe them too often because their skin can actually dry out. So um, usually, you don't want to bathe them unless they're quite dirty or quite smelly, um, and you know, if they get into something that they're not meant to get into and you don't want to use soap on them, you can just use water. That's do you need, fine. Do you need to worm them? Yes, you do. You can get... Um, the vet can recommend a spot-on treatment that does fleas as well. 
um, and they can either give you the dosage or anything like that. And so, Emma, you also need to get them vaccinated. How often does that happen? So when they're um, eight weeks old and 12 weeks old, they need a distemper vaccination. Um, and then from a year on, uh, every year from then on, they need a booster as well. Um, but some people don't prefer not to vaccinate their ferrets. But um, you still need to go in and see the vet for their yearly checkup and things like that too. Yeah. Um, and so any tips on keeping them happy and healthy? So a good diet, some um, enrichment and exercise and playtime. Okay. And do you do you take your ferrets walking outside? I actually don't, but I have heard some people take their ferrets to the beach and things like that um, just to experience something different in the sand on their feet and things like that. So yeah. Okay. Some and people w- do. <laughs> and what about life expectancy? How long do they live? They usually live for about 10 years, but they can live a little bit longer. And do you recommend any particular toys to keep them happy and, you know, sort of active? They do really like the um, tunnels and that. They love running through the tunnels. Um, And you can also get some cat toys. Um, They've got a wand, a cat wand, that you can play with them yourself. And they really, really like that. Yep. Anything to avoid? Um, You want to avoid things like foam because they do have a tendency to eat foam um, and also stuffing you have to be quite careful with as well. So they like to put things in their mouths and test things out and unfortunately they can eat some of it. So you just have to keep an eye on them when they're playing with toys and things like that. And Emma, I've heard that they steal things. Is this a false thing or a true thing? They love stealing and stashing things. It was just yesterday, actually, that I had my butter out um, and he stole one of my socks and he went under the lounge and hid under the lounge and I had to go retrieve it and it's quite funny. So, yeah, they can steal anything from socks to food to, yeah, they like stashing things. (laughs) Now, are they related to rats? Because that's something a lot of people ask. They actually aren't related to rats. They're um, domesticated from uh, European polecats, actually. So they're related to things like minks, badgers, oh, not badgers, sorry, otters um, and skunks. What about meerkats? Meerkats I'm not too sure about, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Dave's just having us on here. He he likes the meerkat. He likes to think they can stand up. (laughs) (laughs) They do, don't they? They do. So, Dave, Dave, you've got it there. I know. Yeah. What about a harness? Could I take him for a walk? Yeah, there are ferret harnesses that you can buy to take them for walks. You just need to make sure that when you're sizing it up that they can't wiggle out of it and run away on you. Yeah. Oh, well, it's very interesting. So they are nice pets to keep. Yes, as long as, you know, you socialise them with you and, you know, have time with you and things like that so that they can bond with you and they become quite sweet. Yeah. Well, Emma, are they best kept in pairs or singular? Um, some ferrets like to be alone, but usually they like to be in a group or with a pair um, so that they can play with each other and they've got someone there when you're not home. And Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing your knowledge today and I'm hoping that some people go out and buy a little ferret for their family. <laughs> that's all right. We're talking about wounds and first aid today. Dave, that's right. It's um, We talked about... Uh, Daylight saving coming out, people getting out and about. And the last couple of weeks we talked about, you know, be careful of ticks and snakes. But the other thing is you go down the park, there's probably going to be another dog or two running yes. around. Everybody has the same idea. I don't know why that is. Enjoying the afternoon, the longer exactly. sunlight. Yeah. And you know what? Um, even though they're on neutral territory, sometimes dogs don't always get along. Mm. A bit like people, you know. Yeah. Bump into someone at the cafe. 
shopping centre, you kind yeah. of go, hey, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Dogs do the same thing. But uh, because they can't talk and sort it out, they come to blows sometimes. So one of the most common problems we see with Why dogs... Why are you living them that close together that they're well, going to get into? Well, that is a really good point. And, um, Bit of distance. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, it's imperative for owners to be aware of their dog's sociability and also be aware that not every dog likes another dog rushing up in their face. So you might say, oh, yeah, my dog's fine. You know, he gets on well with every every dog. Well, he hasn't met every dog, so therefore you can't say that. So just be aware of the dogs around you and make sure you're keeping them well separated. If there are dogs that get on well together, that's great. But it's one of the most common presentations we see through summer, through this time of the year, is dogs that have gotten into a bit of a barney and uh, someone's come off the worst aware. There's a few lacerations, wounds, dog bites, um, or even just running around the backyard sometimes. Make sure if your backyard's a bit messy, a bit of metal lying around, we often see dogs cut themselves with that. Now, look, one of the things that really worries people is blood, and oh, yeah. I, I get that, you know. I, I often so, uh, faint at the sight of blood, which, which makes for interesting surgery. But um, what you need to be aware of is what's the difference between venous bleeding and arterial bleeding? So arterial bleeding is going to be a much more urgent thing. It's a brighter red blood that's spurting from a wound, and we need to get some pressure on that straight away. We need to get something to secure it and try and stop that straight away. Otherwise, they're going to pump out a fair bit of blood. But you'd be surprised, even with venous bleeding, so they've cut a vein, which tend to be thinner walled closer to the surface, so it's easy to bleed, um, you can still lose a lot of blood, but it tends to pool out and it'll be a slightly darker colour. My best advice to people is if you have a wound like that, where there is bleeding, is to simply apply some sort of uh, dressing or compression. Look, it could be your T-shirt. It could be a tea towel. It doesn't have to be a special bandage, because really what we want to do is just get pressure on it. And then don't take it off to look at it. Okay, If it's bad enough that you're going to put a dressing on it or a bandage, you need to get your dog seen by a vet. So don't keep taking it off because what's happening is we want that wound and we want the bleeding to stop and clot. And every time you take that off, you're releasing the pressure. It allows the, the bleeding. Yeah, the flow. it allows yeah. the bleeding to start again. So just leave it on until you get to the vets. Don't keep trying to redress it. And in some cases I've seen, particularly with arterial bleeding, people have put one dressing on and they go, oh, that didn't work because there's still blood coming through. They take it off, put another one. Don't do that. Put another one over the top. Mm. Okay. Now, if it's a particularly dirty wound and, um, you know, you, you saw what happened and your dog ran into the creek and you, you think, yeah, I've got to get him to the vet anyway. Um, but in some cases, if you can see that there's debris in the wound, then it can be okay to flush that out, depending on where it is, obviously, on the body. If it's around the head, um, you know, that's probably best not to be mucking around. Uh, get your dog to the vet. They'll be able to clean it up. Um, straight away and obviously then you, it's difficult to bandage wounds on the head and things like that um, but when we say flushing it out yes it's better if we're using sterile saline and obviously you can go to the pharmacy and get some of that or you could make up a mixture of um, salty water which is I what I do is boil some water and pour out a cup and let it cool down and I add one teaspoon of salt to one cup of water and that will give me an approximate strength that's satisfactory to clean some wounds and then um, 
I'm going to get my dog to the vet. Now, the thing about wounds and how we look after them is that it really depends on how the wound was caused, where, where it's located, what the shape of the wound is, um, what the depth of the wound is, and um, whether it's penetrating into a body cavity, if it's overlying nerves and arteries and so on. So there's really not one good rule for saying, well, you know, for this type of wound, we're, we're just going to do this. It, it requires that veterinary assessment. The number one thing I would say to people is that, um, and I, a lot of people come in and say this, and they go, oh, he's just got a, just got a cut there, just get him stitched up. But um, usually what we find is uh, we need to explore that wound. We need to find out what's going on underneath because there can often be a whole lot of trauma, kind of like the iceberg under the water, that we can't see, and all we see is the little wound on top. So it could be a much bigger problem than what you see from the outside. We'll talk more about this soon. You're listening to Pet Chat. Would you like to talk to our vet? Why don't you pick up the phone right now? 49216216 is the number. You'll get through straight away here at 2NURFM. Joining us right now, being very patient there at Danilba Bay. Hello, June. Hello. Hi, June. How can we help you? Um, I've got a cattle cross husky. He's a gorgeous dog. But of the night, if we leave him out, he digs holes in the in the yard, digs the lawn up and the garden and everything. Is there yes. anything we can do to stop him? Bit of a handful, huh? How old, how old's your how old's your dog? Uh, six. Six. And how long's he been doing this for? Probably the last six months or so. Okay. Um, a lot of dogs, particularly, you know, the two breeds that you're talking about, like cattle dogs and huskies, they're highly active dogs. Um, so they've got a lot of energy to keep going all day. And when they get an opportunity, they've got to do something. They've got to get out there and do something. And digging is such a rewarding activity for a dog. You know, they're, they're immediately, once they break through the surface, they're going to get a whole lot of new smells and odours and, and who knows what they may discover down there. Um, hopefully no bodies, so you've cleaned up the backyard. But, um, you know, um, you, you'll find that this is going to be related to keeping your dog active. So they often, particularly cattle dogs, I find... You've got to be walking them multiple times a day. They've got to have plenty of room to exercise. And um, if they're, you know, chewing dogs, then you can use things like Kongs and the um, ice cube treats we make up. So we'll pack some food into a Kong and then wrap it in plastic and freeze it. And then we can give that to them and it, it keeps them going for hours and hours. And there's a reward because they're constantly getting a little bit of food treat as it comes out, as it defrosts. Um, any sort of ball games they're going to enjoy. It's really going to come down to activity. In some areas, it's worth, obviously, you can fence off some parts, particularly if they're damaging a certain area. But you may simply find that if you don't keep their activity level up, they're just going to transfer over to another part and keep digging there. Yeah, we've tried fencing bits off, and, but he only seems to do it of a night. It's not during the day. Yeah, so he's he's probably just at the end of the day going, I've still got too much energy and what am I going to do? So if it's a factor of um, maybe a, a slightly longer walk or an extra walk during the day to try and get that energy out of him, and you look, this is one of the things with daylight saving um, we just talked about. You can get your pet out and take him for a walk sort of 7 or 8 o'clock at night. You've still got a bit of daylight, and it's um, you know quite safe to do that. And it just takes that extra energy out of him 
so he's not going to come home and think, oh, I've still got to run a marathon, so I'm going to just going to dig up the backyard. So um, I try the treats in the Kongs so it keeps him active and try and throw some more exercise into his day. Thank you, June. And we continue with our calls right now. Joining us from Bellbird. Hello, Mark. How you going? G'day, Mark. How can we help you? Uh, yeah, mate, I've got a, a big a big dog with a big, long, hard tail, and he keeps busting it when he gets excited to see you. He hits it against walls. Yeah. Um, splits it open, but sort of straight. Um, just, been, just been disrespecting and, and bandaging it, but uh, can't seem to keep him on. I wonder if you had any ideas. Um, it's a pretty common problem we, we, that we see with certain breeds, and I think particularly where they don't have a very heavy fur coat on their on their tail. So the th- you know the shorter hair coat dogs, but we do I have seen it in dogs with thicker coats. Um, oftentimes it's a difficult one because I've found that when you talk to people about when is this happening and where is it happening, it's like oh he comes and greets me at the door and he's just jumping around and banging it against the wall and or against the furniture. So oftentimes what we have to do is to just calm them down when we come home. And um, there's a, there is a thing you can do where you actually train your dog to be calm when you first arrive home. And so the thing is we need to get them, it takes a bit of work. You want to get them to sit as you come in the door, but you have to have a, be able to give them a treat straight away. So he gets rewarded with the treat for sitting. He's not getting rewarded um, for jumping around. And if we can do that, it'll probably start him to calm down. And if there's other areas, um, say in these kennels or somewhere else in the house, um, in some cases, again, it's probably keeping him away from those areas where he's banging it or um, moving furniture around. In some cases, I have seen people put um, covers on their dog's tail, but I find that they actually are more of a problem than the original uh, banging. So I I hear you, and in the worst cases where they're chronically doing it, sometimes they can end up with really bad wounds that don't heal and they just scar up, and sometimes you have to have a portion of the tail taken off surgically. Um, but that's really going to be a last resort. So trying to keep him calm when you come home, that's usually the first place and then looking for other areas and seeing if we can change some of the furniture or where he is to minimize the damage but yeah that's a tough one barbara on the line hello barbara hi how are you hi barbara how can we help um i've got a uh, just a plain domestic short-haired cat with hair a little longer than short uh, he's getting on in years he's about 15 and a half now oh. yeah he's doing well but he's probably getting to that stage where um, maybe it's not good to keep him on. He doesn't appear to be any obvious discomfort. Um, he doesn't groom as much as he used to, but he's drinking an enormous amount of water these days, and I do know cats get diabetes. Um, mm-hmm. And also, on the odd occasion, he vomits. And before he vomits, you can tell it's coming, he lets up this almighty howl like he's in enormous pain when he's, when he's getting ready to vomit. Right? Oh. And I just wondered if you can give me any, like, any suggestions of anything we could do or should do. Or... Um, and when was the last time he was at the vets? Uh, um, probably a couple of years back. Rightio. Well, you're right. I mean, diabetes is a condition that we see, obviously, in um, pets and in cats it occurs. But we also see a whole lot of other things that can cause some of those symptoms. So... 
what you're describing is drinking a lot and um, occasionally vomiting. And, you know, that my concern in an older cat that's doing that could be um, we might be dealing with kidney disease, we might be dealing with liver disease. Um, there's a whole heap of things that could be going on. If I had to have a bet on it at this stage, I'd be worried about kidney disease. Um, And so what you need to do is there are some actual treatments that can be used for that. We'll certainly need to assess what's going on. Um, And you really need to get back and see your veterinarian with... um, They'll do a blood test and probably a urine test. And then that way they can actually look at how well the kidneys are functioning. Now, the interesting thing about kidneys is that, um, you know, obviously we have two, cats have two, um, and just because, like, people can donate a kidney means that we can actually live on, uh, you know, 50% of our kidney function. And in fact, uh, with cats, what we find is that they don't develop any symptoms until they get to about loss of 66% or two-thirds of their kidney function. So they can really have a lot of damage going on over years before they really start to show some of these noticeable symptoms. Um, And so there are some treatments that can be used if we're getting to that stage. Things, you know, like medications, diet, uh, that can help resolve a lot of those um, problems. Very, very important, though, is to make sure that he's always got multiple fresh water sources because if you're an animal that has uh, kidney disease, then drinking is the way you catch up it's not that he drinks and then pees a lot he pees a lot and then he drinks to catch up and as a result they're almost permanently dehydrated these guys um and they're what what we call crispy cats because they come in and they're just crackly under the skin because they're just losing fluids so much so very important to have a visit with your vet they'll probably need to do a blood test a urine test and um, check out those things um, hopefully it doesn't turn out to be too severe with those problems, but you've noticed a problem, um, so it's time to go back to the vet. And we're joined now by Patrice from Cessnock. Hello. Hi, Patrice. How can we help you? Um, I hope you can help a cat. Um, David, I have a visiting Persian cat, female. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she is riddled with furball. Oh, Okay. So could you recommend anything that I could give this neighbour's cat to help her pass the motion? So is she uh, grooming herself and she's ingested a lot of fur and that's causing problems? Never seen anything like it. Right. Is she vomiting? Uh, Yes, she will vomit. And she's bringing up fur balls or...? Is she bringing up fur balls? Mm. Hmm. I've been doing a mixture of food. With hard tack and soft food. Yes. Yeah. Um, she will. She will bring it up, and that's when I know that she's extremely constipated. Oh, okay. Um, but this is a stray cat, is it, or is it one in your house? No, it belongs to a neighbour. Right. And it's made at home in my house. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there's a couple of things that we can do here, and um, it's not an uncommon problem. One of the things with these long-haired cats particularly those orientals. Um, So first of all, regular grooming is obviously going to be helpful because you can strip out a lot of that dead hair. Um, The other thing is that you can actually get cat laxatives, which um, usually comes as a paste, 
And look, it sounds uh, a little harder than it is. What you do is it, it comes out like a toothpaste and you just simply put it on uh, their pour and they lick it off and it's flavoured caramel and they eat it and it it's, contains um, mineral oil and it'll actually drag the fur out of their system. And the other thing is there is diets that you can give them. So if you're feeding this cat regularly, then you can actually get a furball diet, which kind of does a similar thing and helps remove the furball from the system. So there's three things I would do. Regular grooming, cat laxative on their paw, and maybe if we're feeding, then add in a furball diet, which you can get from your vet or often pet stores. So Thank you, Patrice. Our pet rescue animal of the week. Beautiful border collie, 12 months old. He's affectionate, he's loyal, he loves playing with toys, he loves going to the park, playing with frisbees, going to the beach. He's a quick learner, he can do all of the commands. He's a really, really good dog. If you want some more information, you can. Um, his name is Oscar. You can go along to the um, dog rescue site or otherwise onto the 2NURFM rescue site, um, rescue for the yeah. dog this week. He's and a beauty. Isn't he beautiful? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for today, you guys. Our pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Sure, sure. Back with us next week. Yes. No, Danny. Oh, Danny's back. Okay. And thank you so much to our vet, Dr. David Tabrett. No worries.